Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for being here. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Brett Tolman at the bottom of the hour with all the legal things in the news right now. We're privileged to have him, former federal prosecutor, uh, former counsel to Senate Judiciary Committee, and former U.S. attorney uh, for Utah. That'll be great. General Jack Keene is standing by. Back from Milwaukee, thanks to everybody uh, that made that shoot so special behind the camera, in front of the camera. And now 13 million people watch those debates. That is awesome. In this day and age, to get anybody to watch one thing at one time, it gets tougher and tougher with all the, with all the options. So that shows the American people care. And by the way, 2.7 million of those were 18 to 34, which shows possibly they are open to a Republican candidate. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I do not want to deal in unproven facts, but my firm personal conviction is that, yes, this was the case. They were being bribed. Victor Shokin told me on One Nation Air Saturday night that he believes that the Bidens were being bribed. Hunter, the starter, Joe, the focus now more than ever. My interview with the fired Ukrainian prosecutor in the Ukraine, Victor Shokin, from Ukraine, possibly shows how deep Joe is in with Hunter and Devin Archer in their shady business dealings. We'll discuss it. Number two. I probably know more about the modern Chinese Chinese state than probably everybody else on that debate stage yesterday. I don't expect someone who's running for president to have that much of a lack of foreign policy. The idea that you would just let Taiwan get eaten up by China, that's not the foreign policy of a strong America. Settling in the two-hour debate and its impact being felt by all eight candidates and all those campaigns. We hear from the candidate as they flood back to the early stage to make their case to Iowa, New Hampshire, and more. Number one. If you challenge an election, you should be able to challenge an election. I thought the election was a rigged election, a stolen election, and I should have every right to do that. Uh, that was the president last night after he was arrested. Historic low. Publicity-seeking DA arrests, fingerprints, and gets a mugshot of the 45th president. A fourth indictment for the GOP frontrunner. And he's embracing the circus. How it will affect the overall race, we'll discuss it. Something else happened. Uh, we see the head of the Wagner Group, the founder of the group, shot out of the sky, it seems, or something on the plane exploded. He and his others on the Wagner staff are now dead. This just a few months after he almost took Moscow when he stopped on his own. 
Uh, it was amazing how clear that path was. He's a big critic about the war itself, Ukraine, and the how uh, the generals were prosecuting that war. General Jack keane has been chronicling it all with the Institute of Study of War. He's a retired four-star general, and he's chairman of the Institute ISW, also a Fox News contributor. Uh, general, welcome back. So I, I have a, everybody know, everyone thought that Prashugin was going to be cut out of the sky, uh, cut out after he failed to take Moscow, voluntarily stopping. Why do you think it took so long? What does it tell you about what really took place internally uh, with Vladimir Putin's Russia? Yeah, well, we don't really know. I think Putin likely made up his mind that, you know, Prigozhin would have to pay you know, for the mutiny and the most serious threat against Putin's regime in 23 years. But I think a lot of it had to do with the Wagner group himself. I'm just speculating because I don't have the inside information, and even our intelligence agency may not. But and because he knows the Wagner group operating – uh, in Africa and in the Middle East was effective. And he certainly doesn't want to lose that effectiveness. And I think part of the deal that he was making, and after all, he did have a discussion uh, with Prigozhin and his leaders in the Kremlin, uh, may have been uh, not to not to turn that organization inside out and to keep it going. I also know that as time went on, the Kremlin had made a decision to kind of keep the viability of the Wagner group going in Africa, particularly less in Syria, but move control of that organization over to the Ministry of Defense and other government agencies. In other words, they would not be some quasi-independent of the Russian government. And and so our audience understands, but those are never surfaced as the leader of the Wagner group and all the publicity that surrounded him until September of last year. And and that's when the first time he admitted that he was indeed the leader, and he began to make proclamations about the war in Ukraine, which, which he was involved in, and, and actually verbally criticizing the war's prosecution by the Ministry of Defense and the generals in charge of it, and also questioned uh, why the war got started in the first place. I think Putin put up with that. Uh, much longer than anybody thought he would, uh, likely because he thought it was putting pressure on the Minister of Defense and the generals to do better, and he kind of liked that kind of competition. But it was surprising to many insiders that Pergozin was able to uh, get away with all of that. Of course, that all ended with the mutiny. So I suspect that may be a reason why it wasn't done immediately. And but I, obviously, I think it is what it is now, Brian. Uh, li- likely, likely, Pergozin is dead, uh, killed by an explosion. The United States is is giving evidence of that. At least they have evidence of it. And what caused that explosion, we don't know for sure. But likely, behind all of that, is one person, and that and that is Putin. I do think they want to keep the Wagner Group going under the Ministry of Defense in Africa and and keep that moving in that direction, but make, it, it will no longer be independent of the Russian government. It's going to be working for the Russian government. Putin liked that deniability because this was a, an organization that committed atrocities, and uh, and he liked the idea that, that he could say, well, that, they're not working for me. Uh, 
this is an independent organization. And he used that constantly, uh, you know, to, to thwart the criticisms that he was receiving as a result of it. Uh, General Jack Keene, our guest. So, General, uh, just getting uh, back to the war itself. Uh, number one, they lost an asset. Had they been a reliable asset or a more loyal uh, asset on the battlefield? Because they could fight, at least according to the Ukrainians, they could fight better than the traditional uh, uh, Russian forces. And the general in charge has now been demoted. There was a, a, evidently an ally of Prigozhin, and he was the one who set up this very formidable defense through the winter that's been holding up to, for the most part, for the Russians. So that guy, who also speaks truth to power, has been demoted. So you also, uh, on ISW, you talk about the Ukrainian forces advance closer to the Russian second line of defense in the Robotin area in western Zaporizhia Oblast. That happened uh, just last week on the 24th. Uh, further widening the breach of the Russian defensive lines in the area. So in layman's terms, what's taking place? Yeah, well, this is the first time. Well, first of all, to go back to Sarah Volkin, as the general you mentioned, he was in charge of Russian air forces, but he was also the theater commander in Syria for a number of years. And that is where Prigozhin and Sarah Volkin developed a relationship. And it's been widely reported that when Prigozhin committed mutiny against the regime and was moving towards Moscow, it's believed that he was counting on Serebokin and another a number of generals to side with him against Putin. And when none of that happened, when none of those generals publicly came to his aid, as a matter of fact, Serebokin uh, criticized uh, the mutiny that was undertaken. The fact is, is that that's one of the reasons why Prigozhin certainly folded his hand. And that is usually the reason why coups fail is that the people in the government who are going to support them don't support them uh, in fact, despite the fact that the rhetoric was there and being supportive. So Sarah Volker is removed because Putin's intelligence services now has probably has all the goods on them, emails, phone calls, etc., demonstrated Sarah Vulcan's allegiance with Prigozhin, uh, you know, prior to the mutiny. Yes, he, he was a much-acclaimed general and and highly regarded and capable. Uh, what has taken place on the ground is, for the first time, the Ukrainians have managed to penetrate the Russia's main defensive line in the area, uh, Robotinin, that, Tinina, that you just mentioned. And that is significant in of itself. And now what they're attempting to do is get through the secondary defenses, which are not as formidable but still challenging, and then bring in uncommitted forces that haven't been in the fight in that area and use them to exploit the penetration and move to the rear. This will still take time to do. It's going to be uh, challenging to do for sure. Uh, But it is significant because of how serious those obstacles are and the fact that the ukrainians are doing this somewhat handicapped you know not having all the engineer breaching equipment to get through the minefields that they were promised what they're actually doing uh is is having uh soldiers out there at night under the cover of darkness removing the mines by hand uh and and getting killed doing it uh and certainly trying to do it clandestinely so that they, they're they not sighted and therefore artillery would rain down on them. 
Um, it's it very frustrating, but nonetheless, they feel they have no choice. This is what they're facing, and they don't have the assistance they got. They got 60 of 250 uh, Leopard tanks, and the M1s, uh, they don't arrive to the fall, likely after the counteroffensive, 31 only. Those are our Abrams tanks, and yet there's hundreds of armored vehicles in storage in Germany in the event the United States ever goes to war with Russia. I submit that war is ongoing, and we should have given them uh, a significant amount of that storage tanks, which could have been done almost immediately. So, yeah, the, the Ukrainians, despite those shortcomings, have, have achieved a significant tactical breakthrough here. And hopefully it, it turns into something even more positive. So a couple of things are going on. I hear they're doing small little attacks in Crimea, kind of unsettling the Russian forces, making them wonder when they're coming. How effective are they? Is that psychological as well as tactical? Yeah. Yeah, very good point. There's two fights going on, and when the way we look at it in military terminology, the close fight is the one that everybody's looking at. The Russians defending, Ukrainians attacking into that defense. There's a deep fight that has always been going on, and that is attacking the Russians at range, at distance, to destroy the logistical infrastructure, and that's been going on inside mainland uh, Ukraine, but also in Crimea. And you've seen it at naval bases, air bases, ammunition depots, etc. And, and they're using special operation forces and long-range fires to do that. And then the psychological aspect of it, uh, uh, and I'm glad you brought that up, uh, is it, it's taking place in Crimea as well, but also in Moscow, uh, where they've been done, done some, some symbolic attacks, certainly not attempting to destroy anything of any consequence. They focused on government or military targets, but to make certain that the the people in Moscow know that there really is a war going on here and the Ukrainians do have some reach and they want them to focus on, you know, on what is happening and the psychological impact that even Moscow can be attacked by the Ukrainians. So it's a it's an important aspect of uh, of war itself. Yeah. Uh, and what about the grain shipments? It looks like I've been reading the Ukrainians are saying we're going to do it anyway. Are they sending are they do they have any type of uh, of uh, of a way of escorting their cargo ships out of port? Not, not with any capability, but the international community does. I mean, we got, you know, Brian, when when the Russians decided to invade Ukraine, we pulled our Navy out of the Black Sea. I mean, I mean, how horrific Crazy. was that? I mean, what, what, a, what kind of a message did we – we have every right to be in the Black Sea. I mean, not, we weren't in there with some major kind of armada, but we go in and out of there like we do uh, other places, U.S. presence in the region, supporting allies, port calls, etc. Um, so we pulled out of there. And, and when, when the Russians have done this before – uh, what broke it was just the Ukrainians loading up their cargo ships and just driving driving out and and daring the Russians to stop them, which they which they didn't do. And then the Russians cut a formal deal, you know, that they're going to permit the grain shipments to go. What what I think we should have done right from the beginning and and do now is put together an international armada to escort uh, the U- Ukrainian cargo ships out. And, and challenge the Russians. Are they really going to attack? Uh, 
other countries' ships, NATO ships, uh, ships in the region that may not even be NATO countries but are interested in, in those shipments. I mean, this is a huge humanitarian issue that affects the global economy. And, and the Russians, I don't believe, want to poke that uh, because of the isolation that will increase on them and, and the loss of support they will, they will have with so many countries that are, that are neutral. But we have a tendency not to want to call their bluff on this. And, and it's been a, a, I think it's one of the reasons why Putin started the war, you know, because he thought the United States was weak and would likely not have the resolve to respond and wouldn't organize any major effort against them. I think he miscalculated there. I, I do give the Biden administration some credit to bring them together a coalition against him that, co- that uh, Putin did not expect, but it's also been half-hearted. But here's another example of our half-heartedness. We should be escorting those cargo ships out of there. Absolutely. Every time we've uh, called their bluff, but we have not regretted it. Uh, General Jack Keane, uh, you're leading the charge in terms of letting everybody know the importance of this war. It's sad that you, outside the government, have to sell their story, tell their story. Thanks, General. Have a great weekend. Yeah, great talking to you and your audience, as always, Brian. Right. Thank you. Thank you, General. Uh, back with your calls, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We're back from Milwaukee. Happy to be at forty eighth and six. Uh, you're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, folks! It's your man Keyshawn Johnson here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering. What exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. 
It's Brian Kilmeade. There is no doubt that uh, his actions have uh, damaged the U.S. reputation in Ukraine. It is public knowledge. Uh, Everybody knows that it was because of uh, Joe Biden's actions that uh, Russia was able to claim Crimea without firing a single shot, uh, which, of course, eventually led to a full-scale war that is currently uh, underway. So Victor Shokin talked to me last week, and his his comments were so explosive, they asked me to keep it a week. Uh, Victor Shokin is the prosecutor that Joe Biden fired. And he said, listen, uh, you know, I haven't been asked to tell my story. So he was able to do this interview, and he was able to tell his side of the story. And he says, it is true. Joe Biden is the only reason I got fired. Uh, Brashenko probed me out of retirement to be his prosecutor after he won his election. And the only reason he was fired, he believes, is because he was investigating Burisma. And if you don't believe it, Devin Archer has now told investigators that, yeah, it was Victor Shokin. One of the main things was for the Bidens, for him, to get rid of Shokin because Shokin was a problem. And the problem was that he was investigating Burisma because of their corrupt practices. He's going to get his side of the story. The White House is pushed back, and that's fine. I'm not buying the pushback. Uh, we'll present it all. And Saturday at 8, I'm going to have Miranda Devine, who's been did the laptop from hell and do the New York Post story. Uh, I let her see the piece. She's going to respond to the White House. Don't move. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I really believe this is a very sad day for America. This should never happen. If you challenge an election, you should be able to challenge an election. I thought the election was a rigged election, a stolen election, and I should have every right to do that. As you know, you have many people that you've been watching over the years do the same thing, whether it's Hillary Clinton or Stacey Abrams or many others. Uh, They don't like the way Donald Trump did it, and that's why they're bringing all these charges and 19 people, co-defendants, into the for this Georgia prosecutor. They're going to look. Mark Meadows will lead the charge to make this a move this into a federal court, which would maybe round out that jury and make it more Georgian and less Fulton Countyan, which would, on the surface, if you look at the voting records, would give the president, the former president, more of a shot of success. But have they complicated the case to the point where there's no way it's going to get to trial? Before the election, let's bring in Brett Tolman, former federal prosecutor, former counsel to the Senate Judiciary Committee and U.S. attorney. Brett, your thoughts about the president's comments. You can't exactly equate Stacey Abrams, Hillary Clinton, but the sentiment certainly is. Well, sure. Brian, thanks for having me on. It's it's accurate to say that we should be able to challenge the election and, you know, look at look at the foundational facts of, of what happened. He hired lawyers. He had lawyers representing him. He had individuals that were consulting the lawyers. They were making challenges, election challenges. They were gathering facts. Under Georgia law, you're allowed to challenge an election where you where you find either fraud or you find irregularities. 
that justify further investigation. They were pursuing that that in that manner. Um, we can we can argue about the comments that Donald Trump made. We can argue about whether or not they the, they had strong legal foundation in pursuing it. But you cannot argue that this is not a prosecution of the legal team and a client that was trying to use the legal system to challenge the election. So there we go. He's booked on 13 felony accounts, and you see his picture, his mugshot. And think about the money, the resources, the escorts, the security, what we needed in order to get the president two and a half years later to be arrested officially uh, in this show in a jail uh, in Fulton County. Is there any other crime? I've just heard. I heard there's no crime in Fulton County, so they don't need any money for cops or resources or investigations. Is that true, Brett? Yeah, I, I mean, it is it is stunning to um, to see that that you know you have power as a prosecutor and you have the ability to bring you know charges and to affect somebody's liberty. But there are certain things like the the like the bail issue, the bond issue. They require him to post post money, right? And 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 each one had to post money. Well. The reason you do that is to ensure that somebody is going to appear. Where's Donald Trump going to go that he isn't going to be recognized if he if he were to attempt to to, to right. flee jurisdiction? <laughs> what 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 in what world are we living that we require someone who has the resources, who's already proven he's willing to show up and, and appear? Do we require you know payment of funds and and you know right now as it stands, Brian, there's there's one individual. The only African American that's charged in it, and he he had this, he's spending time in jail because he couldn't afford uh, the the bond. But he already proved it was allowed to self surrender, and already proved that he would you know appear. And so it, the whole the whole thing uh, smacks of a of a, a, a ludicrous circus um, run by someone who cares less about you know equal justice under the law and more about the political gains that may come as a result of this prosecution how else would you explain the timing even if you say to yourself i think donald trump's the worst person in the world and i'm so glad he's being prosecuted you don't wait two and a half years to bring a case that's been out there and been litigated on primetime television through the january 6th committee and then you have the governor you have the secretary of state you have all these resources miles away so uh, but then they decide to bring this case but brett i want to bring you to this Kenneth Cheeseboro is one of the defendants. He filed a motion for a speedy trial, and it's been granted. So they cleavered him off of the 19 that are going to be uh, rounded up and tried simultaneously. And his trial will start October 23rd. Tell us what this means. You know, this is a motion that the judge has no discretion on under under Georgia law and, and most states and in, under federal law. You have a right to a speedy trial, typically between 60 to 70 days. And so this defendant has said, you know what, I'm I'm going to put you to your burden and I'm not going to give grant. I don't want an extension. Now, it's a risky strategy, a very risky strategy, because cases like this typically take years to bring. I have one case that was a RICO case that took over five years to, to get to trial. Um, they're very complex, and especially when you charge so many individuals. But it tells you it's not well thought through by the prosecution. They charged a conspiracy involving you know 19 individuals, and each one of them could have different trial dates depending on the amount of discovery they have, the legal resources. The judge will try to make some sense of this and, and, and require the government to 
to do it in the most efficient manner possible. But you saw that the prosecution filed a motion to to try all of the defendants at the same time, which is within the next couple of months in October trial. Um, which is absolutely, uh, um, uh, you know, un- un- crazy, unfounded. Right. Yeah, it's and crazy. it's crazy for the prosecution, too. <laughs> yeah. Crazy for the prosecution. It, it's a risky strategy, but it's interesting to me because it's very possible that it works. They were, I'm certain, not anticipating someone demanding their speedy trial. And, and it'll cause them to have to prove their case uh, much sooner than they thought. Um, and and the 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 real rub as a prosecutor is you don't want to try the case more than once. But in this instance, that looks like what we might have. So so if uh, give me a I'll give you a scenario. Kenneth Cheeseboro goes and they say, you know what, uh, he's fine, he's innocent. What does that do to the other eighteen? Yeah, <laughs> and that's also the risk is you. You get a, a jury that acquits them, or you, you decide that you know you don't want to go forward on the case. You've just weakened your your ability to bring the case, and and it's 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 something that a, you know an impartial judge would look at and say, hey, you know, why why bring such cases? It'll embolden the defendants um, that are left if there's an acquittal um, on the first case. Uh, do you think they'll move it to a federal? Do you think Mark Meadows will be successful? I think there's a lot of merit in it by almost all accounts. I think it's an interesting motion. I've not seen it happen, um, Brian. It's there, there's such there's such deference to the states uh, in in having the the, the Constitution gives the states basically the the foundational right to bring criminal charges. The 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 federal criminal case is is really been added over the over the last several decades as we've expanded federal criminal law. But the primary jurisdiction is in the states, and so it's going to be interesting. I it would take a, a particularly um, um, clever, I think, judge that might be willing to to push the case. And, and who, who would decide out, that, Georgia? Who would decide it, Brett? There, you would have to have a federal. You would have to have a federal judge using preemption um, to to assert that these are questions of federal law and not state law, and and pull it out. But then you you, you really have a constitutional question that um, is not simple to answer. You may not have resolution until the Supreme Court were to were to decide uh, something. So here's the thing, just to, you know, as a layman. He is a chief of staff for the president of the United States, federal government. Uh, what's your problem with him is his actions on January 6th and in around trying to get what he thought was a justified result in Georgia and what uh, critics would find and prosecution would find uh, using legal means to change the results, whatever it is. He says, I'm serving in the federal government for the president. I am not serving in Georgia. Uh, I'm inquiring in Georgia what happened with a federal election, and that's part of his case. And a lot of people look at this and say it's strong. Now, Sarah Isgore, who served as the Trump Department of Justice spokesperson, who has since become very anti-Trump, was exasperated on this whole decision to bring this prosecution the way they're doing it. Cut 18. When you're thinking about a jury, there's just no better witness than Mark Meadows in terms of, like we said, his closeness to Donald Trump, both in terms of what he'd know crossing his desk, but also his closeness to Donald Trump, understanding what Donald Trump was thinking. The only thing better, of course, is going to be the audio of Donald Trump himself. 
in that uh, interview with the writer. Um, but this is also where I think that the Fulton County District Attorney sort of violated the Jurassic Park rule. She was so concerned about whether she could bring the largest case possible against Donald Trump and his associates, she didn't stop to think about whether she should include someone like Mark Meadows as a defendant. And as a result, she has this large, unwieldy case when she could have had, I think, the strongest case on the fake elector, stronger than the federal case. But instead, it's been muddied up by all of these other defendants, by all of these other charges, and it could take forever. So she's she's upset, but she's saying it like she sees it. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not wrong. A RICO case is a a well-prosecuted RICO case is one in which you have limited targets because you have reached deals with those that are inside. Um, That doesn't appear to have happened in this case. I do believe they tried to charge as many as they possibly could to make this out to be a much larger conspiracy. And they charged um, as many counts and they charged and they, they, they did as much as they could in terms of making this robust indictment appear to have as much meat in it as, as, as they could. But in the end, it's very hollow because each of these individuals besides Donald Trump have bits, bit play, they're bit players in the overall yeah. drama that's, that they're trying to, to, to paint a picture of. And they should have, if they were going to be very serious about it, they should have worked and made deals with multiple individuals, um, brought the case against, you know, two or three defendants. And that would be a case you you, you might be able to wield and, and control. This one will be very difficult to control. I would say one thing for the president, uh, pay these guys legal bills. Uh, they yes, don't have the, these aren't rich that. people uh, for the most part, and they pay their legal bills. And they'll have no... They'll have no choice but to go uh, cut a deal. And maybe they're going to say things that are not going to help your case. Lastly, Fani probably is the right thing, by the way, to do. Uh, uh, Fani Willis is the district attorney. And it looks like the House Republicans are going to probe her about her motivations. They want to know about all communications with Jack Smith. Uh, also, some of her conflict of interest as she's campaigning on this. And she actually had a fundraiser for one of the opponents of somebody that she arrested or indicted. So how success is this one of these things to let you just to make her life a little bit more difficult? Or do you think that they could uh, reveal something that would help the pre- former president? I think it's very possible. These are serious motions, the motions to recuse a, a, a district attorney and, and for conflicts of interest. And they, they can be successful if you can show that there is a targeted prosecution for, for political reasons or if you can show that she is conflicted because it, uh, the case would assist her um, you know, politically uh, or allies of hers on the political side – you know, judges judges review those kinds of motions. I filed a motion similar to that and was successful, but it doesn't mean the case goes away. Instead, you would have uh, the attorney general may pick up the case and have to pursue it, or or they may transfer it to another another district attorney. Does it, bother, it happens, would it, would it be bad if she case. was if she would it be bad if she was coordinating with Jack Smith? Would that present any type of complications? You know, that's an interesting question, uh, Brian. I think that they, they, they can have some, some communications, but it's tricky because they both have very, very plain 
and d- distinct rules regarding what can be shared with each other when, once the grand jury has been impaneled. Um, so it would be it would be very technical in in, in what what they have to analyze. But I have a high I, I'm highly doubtful that there's going to be any revelations anytime soon that they will send, you know, documentation of communications to the Congress. They're, they're going to hold off doing that for as long as possible. Uh, Brett, I really, I taxed you heavily. I would not be surprised to get some type of invoice uh, in the mail. Uh, <laughs> this is really good. Every, every indictment gets a little bit more complicated. Uh, yes, it does. <laughs> thanks so much, Brett. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. one 866 I know you have a lot to say. I also have some results about on a first – it's just a poll, but who did the best on the debate? You're going to be surprised who graded the highest. At least I was. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Three questions, Sean. Did you coordinate with the Biden administration, the same administration who's indicted their general election opponent in D.C. and Miami already? Did you coordinate with them? Did you work with Jack Smith? Same, uh, same look at the same witnesses. What did any coordination there? And did you use federal funds as part of this investigation? We asked these same questions of Alvin Bragg a few months ago, and he, in fact, did use. American tax dollars to go after President Trump in Manhattan. And oh, by the way, Alvin Bragg sued us when we subpoenaed one of those prosecutors up there in Manhattan. He sued us. We went to court and the court ruled for us. So we're going to be just as aggressive here. We're going to do it within the Constitution, but we are going to do our duty to get the answers the American people deserve for this ridiculous indictment that's taken place in Georgia. And I'm aware people are listening to me now who are vehemently anti-Trump, and I want everybody uh, to listen. I, I'm not judging. I want all your opinions. But you have to understand, this is pure politics. This is totally unnecessary. I watched Dan Abrams say this three weeks ago. Dan Abrams on ABC News just came out and said, this is totally unnecessary. Jack Smith's doing all this already. But this woman's going to a photo shoot. She's running on this. I prosecuted Donald Trump. Alvin Bragg trying to prosecute Donald Trump. Now, it's my my problem is a little bit, why are these people running for election? They should just be uh, they should just be looking for justice, not convictions, justice, wherever it leads you and do everything you can to get do what's right. So the House is going to say, OK, show me, are you coordinating with Jack Smith? Are you going to, for example, get certain people to flip in your local case to help me in my national case? Or is the federal case going to get certain people to flip to help you get evidence to go ahead and get Donald Trump? You have your goal. You got your headshot, your mugshot. In the short term, what you're doing is you're igniting his base. You're shutting out the rest of the field. I know Democrats say my grand plan is to get him nominated, but make him so weak that he'll never win because we have a terrible candidate in Joe Biden. You do not know how this is going to play out. Nobody thought that the president would get 19 points every uh, over DeSantis and may dominate the uh, call simply by being indicted, something that looks negative. Now, 
if you want to know what went to the debate and who did best, I was staggered to see this. Uh, they, it looks like Ron DeSantis graded the highest. He got 29% of the people say he performed the best. 26% said Vivek. 15% said Haley. Pence got seven. Scott got four. Christie got four. Uh, Governor Burgum and Hutchinson won apiece. Who attacked got attacked the most? Joe Biden 14 times. Donald Trump six. Vivek six. Exciting stuff. 13 million people watched, and most of you listen. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Thanks so much for listening. Got in last night. I'll tell you what, I know I shouldn't be celebrating this, but I just took two flights that left on time. And the one in Milwaukee landed a half hour early. Special thanks to Delta Airlines back and forth. I used to take this for granted. I used to be like, did you hear what happened? My airline was late. Well, we were stuck on the tarmac. That's so weird. Now I tell people when I actually land on time. Because everything's so screwy in the airports, and I know most people have a horror story, I just save it. But I do want to say the good news first. No problems. And I do also have some more good news. Uh, New York is the eye of the storm, even more than the border, I think, at this point with illegal immigration. Here in New York, we have tens of thousands, 10,000 kids, maybe more, going into our school system who don't speak English. These schools already worn down, underachieving, classes too big, and now we add in English as a second language students? Who's paying for it? The governor is finally asking Joe Biden to. Meanwhile, the governor and mayor aren't fighting. That's the story here with illegal immigration. And, Mr. President, I full put that right at your feet. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I do not want to deal in unproven facts, but my firm personal conviction is that, yes, this was the case. They were being bribed. Victor Shokin. Yep, the prosecutor that was fired spoke to me. It's going to air the whole thing on One Nation. But he talks about Joe Biden, how they basically ruined his life and how they he was targeting Burisma. Hunter the starter, Joe the focus, now more than ever. My interview with the Ukrainian prosecutor from Ukraine possibly shows how deep Joe is in bed with Hunter and his shady business deals. Number two. I probably know more about the modern Chinese, Chinese state than probably everybody else on that debate stage yesterday. I don't expect someone who's running for president to have that much of a lack of foreign policy. The idea that you would just let Taiwan get eaten up by China, that's not the foreign policy of a strong America. Yeah, that, oh, oh, wait a second, in 2028. So they have two more years of existence settling in. The two-hour debate and its impact being felt with all eight candidate campaigns. We hear from the candidates as they flood back into the early states to make their case. Number one. If you challenge an election, you should be able to challenge an election. I thought the election was a rigged election, a stolen election, and I should have every right to do that. There you go. Uh, Former President Donald Trump, historic low, publicity-seeking DA arrests, fingerprints, and gets mugshots from the former president. 
the fourth indictment for the GOP frontrunner, and he's embracing the circus, although it is in got to be embarrassing. How it will affect the race, we're going to look at the case. Right now with Andrew McCarthy, he is tired of taking my calls. My apologies, Andrew, but this whole country's <laughs> litigating. We're all suing each other. We're trying to indict and arrest each other. So I want to leave you alone, but I can't. Oh, man. it's It really is awful what's uh... – this infusion of this infusion of the of politics into the law has been a catastrophe for the law as well as for the politics. And we've been doing it since 2016, Brian. And we know we know it's bad, but we we just can't, can't seem to get out of the cycle. Um, we okay. So the president goes and turns himself in. He's got 19. He's got 18 co-conspirators, and they're having 13 separate in, uh, charges on him. So. What if, first off, how significant do you think it is that one of the defendants is going to get an early October 25th court date? So he says, yeah, I want a speedy trial, and they cleaved him off from the rest of the case. Does that matter? And in what way is that going to impact the rest? I think it's a little too early to tell because you got, um, first of all, you know, I've done a long analysis of the indictment, which I think uh, is not going to hold up. I think it's going to have to be pared down into three or four different cases. The, her RICO count, which is the big selling point, uh, doesn't really work. Um, so I, I don't think we've seen the case in its final form yet, Brian. Plus, the other thing is um, you got at least three or four defendants who were federal office holders while all this was going on. So um, they're going to have a right to remove the case to federal court. And I think even though the Obama-appointed district judge that got the first crack at that has, has uh, rebuffed them, I think they're going to get that reversed on appeal. So I don't think we're, we've seen this case in its final form yet. So uh, I saw Governor Kemp say last week there is no way this case comes before the election. Are you, does Andy McCarthy think so, too? In its current form, there's no way it would it would go prior to the election. So what's the point? Election. Didn't she, she had two and a half years to think this out. Well, the, the point – I'm going to say, Brian, I think the same thing that I said about um, Bragg's indictment in uh, New York. I think you have to re- realize when you're dealing with these state-level progressive prosecutors that they're better thought of as elected officials than district attorneys. And she gets the the politics for her um, are very different from, say, like the politics of the Justice Department. Um, the politics for her is she's going to get credit from progressives in Atlanta simply for bringing these charges. You know, Trump is the big nemesis. She's using her power against Trump. Uh, and that's what that's what uh, her political base likes. So I, I think with these guys and I think Bragg is in this category as well. Uh, for them, the the political benefit is actually in investigating Trump in a very public way and then bringing charges. Of course, they'd like to win the case, but they're going to get credit for, for doing that. And I would remind people, she is on the ballot in 2024. So she's clearly doing this for fundraising purposes and also for her own electoral purposes. Uh it, uh, it's just so matter of fact, and the impact is so great. It's hard to believe we the, our system is set up like that and has been brought up to me before in the past. If you think this is the last time a, uh, a um, state prosecutor is going to be going after a president, you haven't been paying attention. Here we go. Right. You know an Oklahoma prosecutor is going to say, you know what? 
I don't like uh, President Stacey Abrams. I think she did some dicey things in Utah in 2032 to become president. So I think I'm going to I'm going to indict her, you know, now that she's out or trying to run again. And it's just I can't believe the way we're using the courts. Well, a good example of just what you're talking about is she's got a bunch of counts in there that um, where she uh, accuses Trump and many others of uh, criminal solicitation um, on the basis of trying to get legislatures and political officials to decertify the uh, the election in Georgia. Uh, on her theory, um, and th- this is the charge in Atlanta of solicitation of a felony, and the felony supposedly would be uh, somehow, if the legislature were to undo the election, that would be a felony. I still haven't wrapped my brain around that, but I don't know why you couldn't, on her theory, indict every Democrat in America who asks Joe Biden to cancel student loans. Um, you know, you're petitioning government to do something that is blatantly illegal. He didn't have the authority to do it. Um, that seems to be what what the Atlanta theory is, what Fannie Willis's theory is, that you, if you petition government to do something uh, that they, that progressives regard as illegal, and I would say that progressives simply don't like whether it's illegal or not, that now is somehow a felony. And, you know, if that's the way you're going to approach the law, we might as well, that's a Soviet-style crime. I mean, there's no other getting around it. And I would say in the federal system, because I've done these cases in the terrorism area, uh, I think the federal the federal system is much better in the sense that our solicitation law is based the bright line is violence. So you know if you call for violence and you you do it in a way uh, that provokes you know imminent potential harm, uh, or if you your words. Um, or in connection with a violent crime, you don't have a First Amendment defense. But other than that, if it's not if you're not calling for violence, then it's just politics. And I just don't, uh, you know, I, I I think Atlanta's crazy to go this way. Uh, so do I. So does Dan Abrams uh, on ABC, and so does Sarah Isgore. The way they're doing it, who's clearly become anti-Trump, even though she was a spokesperson for him. So a lot of people say that, and it's just complicating everything. But here's how it affects an election. And I ask everyone out there, I don't care if you vote for DeSantis or Joe Biden or, or, or RFK Jr. Right now they did a study. And even though the president's holding support may be gaining support with the indictments, they asked if the former president is, um, is indicted, how would it affect your vote? He loses 17 points. And he loses seven to Joe Biden. So don't tell me it doesn't affect the election. So we don't like the case. Do you feel he's innocent? It goes to trial. Somehow one of them, if he's indicted and he's convicted, you drop 17 points. And maybe the goal is get his nomination. Then you put him on trial, get him convicted, lose those 17 points. And Joe Biden continued his zombie-like running of the government for four years. So this is affecting the election. And I laugh when these judges come out and say, yeah, I don't care about politics. Well, Politics cares about what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. You can't. You can't. Um, they can't take the position. I don't think this is tenable. Where you come out and say you're you're going to be treated just like everyone else uh, because everybody has to bow to the due administration of justice. 
That's not how things work in this country. And I say this is somebody uh, who loves that system and who worked in it for 20 years. There's no absolute right in American law. Everybody has to accommodate, you know, rights don't live in a vacuum. Every right has to accommodate every other right. Right. And the courts are going to have to make some accommodations to a guy who's running for president. It's just a fact. Here's what Jim Jordan says he and the House are doing. Cut to. Three questions, Sean. Did you coordinate with the Biden administration, the same administration who's indicted their general election opponent in D.C. and Miami already? Did you coordinate with them? Did you work with Jack Smith? Same, uh, same look at the same witnesses. What did any coordination there? And did you use federal funds as part of this investigation? We asked these same questions of Alvin Bragg a few months ago, and he, in fact, did use American tax dollars to go after President Trump in Manhattan. And oh, by the way. Alvin Bragg sued us when we subpoenaed one of those prosecutors up there in Manhattan. He sued us. We went to court and the court court ruled for us. So we're going to be just as aggressive here. We're going to do it within the Constitution, but we are going to do our duty to get the answers the American people deserve for this ridiculous indictment that's taken place in Georgia. And Jordan, as you know, is chairman of the Judiciary Committee. So your thoughts about what the House is going to do, what, what role does that play? Is this just to rattle the cage? or to get some answers that really will affect the case? Well, I think if you look at the, compare the two cases, the Atlanta case has a lot more um, bad potential to impact federal operations than the Bragg case did. You know, the Bragg case is a, is a political hit job, but basically it's about, you know, a business records uh, crime according, by Bragg's lights. It really doesn't affect much in the way of um, the operations of government. Whereas the Atlanta case, if this is the law, you could cripple the federal government. I mean, the whole idea of the supremacy clause is that the states cannot conduct their operations in a way that obstructs the legitimate operations of the federal government. Um, You know, she has a count in there, which I think is, there's a number of absurd counts in this 41 count indictment, but the, the worst one is she wants to indict Jeffrey Clark who was a Justice Department official over a draft letter that was being deliberated over at the highest level of the Justice Department. State prosecutors got no business poking her nose into the operations of the Justice Department in connection with a letter that never got sent. I mean, that's ridiculous. So there's a lot in her indictment that actually is perilous for the operations of the federal government. If you allow this, you know, if you allow the state to do what she's doing, then the federal government can't operate. So I, I understand Jordan getting his back up over this one. Yeah, it's uh, it, to me, I, I just go uh, the the events and it gives a bunch of people ratings. We get to fire a car- caravan and the caravan comes in, the caravan comes out. This time there's a mugshot, uh, there's fingerprints. And then the president has to put $200,000 up and he went to a bail bondsman to do it. Does that surprise you? Um, well... The rich people use probably, bail bondsmen. I, I guess he he probably didn't post the um, the money, right? He probably posted a, a like a surety bond, yeah. which is what you would get from a bail bondsman. I, I he's probably got his reasons, Brian. I, I'm not uh, smart enough to figure out what they are. Um, Thankfully, that, I don't know the process too well. Yeah. Well, I'm surprised he went to a bail bondsman, I, but you know he's got a lot of demands on him right now. He's got you know besides the four criminal cases that we talk about all the time. He's got three big civil trials coming up, and coming up starting on October 3rd with the one in New York. 
and then two in January. So just on civil litigation, aside from all the fees that he's having to pay and all that stuff, he's going to be he's going to have cases going on in court pretty much from the beginning of October until the end of February. It's insane. And that's just the civil stuff. You know, it's amazing. We're very worried about people who um, get uh, arrested for a crime while they wait trial. We want to put the uh, bail low enough that they can afford it. Because if people can't afford bail, it's not fair that they get out. That's why we got the zero cash bail. Is it fair when you get charged to have these huge legal fees? It really forces people who are not billionaires to cut deals. Correct? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, you know, the old saying is that the process is the penalty, right? It's not, uh, it, for a lot of people, uh, it's not about being convicted in the end. Just the the process is so miserable to go through. It's so prohibitively expensive. It's so emotionally draining uh, that a lot of them cut deals. And it's absolutely right. true that there are people who are not guilty who who make a calculation that it's better to plead guilty and try to get out of the situation than, you know, fight them. Andy McCarthy, thanks so much, Andy. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Hey, when we come back, we'll open up the phones, one 866 Also get your comments, BrianKillmeadShow.com. Put it in writing. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think this is criminalizing the challenging of elections. Uh, Basically, you have a Democratic prosecutor saying, how dare you challenge a Democratic victory? Well, it's been done before by Democrats. And the whole case is based on this theory that Donald Trump really didn't mean it. Well, neither did those, even if that were true, neither did those Democrats. They challenged Trump's election on no grounds at all. I mean, many of these past challenges were very, very thin. But in Donald Trump's case, he insists that he does believe that Georgia could have been flipped with a recount. Uh, That's why it's so crazy that this now is a, a big court case. And the sensationalistic, the six hours of nonstop programming. I love what we did on Fox News. Of course, uh, Jesse was doing his show. He's like, okay, there it is. Now I'm going to move on and talk about some other stuff. And that's just it. Because you're actually trying to be fair to the other eight candidates on the stage the other night. And at the same time, you uh, you have other things going on in the world from Hawaii, what's going on in Ukraine, uh, to our economy, to interest rates going up. They're over in Jackson Hole deciding our fate. Maybe deciding whether you can afford a house or not. I mean, it's getting tiresome, and the cases are getting ridiculous. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Nick Kosher joins us from the Fox Weather for, uh, Meteorologist. He can also dance. Unlike me, I can't. Radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
Hey, we're back, everybody. If you're watching Fox Nation on the, on the stream camera, Talk Nation, very excited, especially when my name appears once in a while. You can hear it once in a while on the promos. Uh, Nick Koser, Fox Weather Meteorologist, is back with us. Nick, only uh, Brian Kilmey would come up with a great idea, take the best dancer in the history of America and put him <laughs> on radio where you sit down and talk. <laughs> what am I thinking? No, no. I am honored to be a part of anything you're doing. I, I, I really but look I'm not up to using you. your best attributes in an audio that's okay. uh, form- I, format. That's okay. I still have some, I have some pearls of wisdom I can drop. So. Because I, according to reports, you're a weather guy. I, <laughs> right? Yes, yes, I do a little bit of weather on the side. Right, no, so, no, I'm always on Fox Weather, so make sure you watch it. All right, first off, I, I you know, there was second, I think the second question at the debates was about climate change. Yep, I know. So, you know, everyone would say Republicans don't care about climate change, and that's all the Democrats care about. Is there a lane for, I know things are changing. I just don't think we're res- humans are responsible for it. That is an interesting lane to be in. I, I preface all my answers by saying I'm not a climatologist. So what I'm saying has no basis in science or fact. I'm a meteorologist. I focus on short-term weather patterns, not long-term climate. But I will say this. I think a lot of people focus on climate change and focus on people being the X factor. I actually think Mother Nature is the X factor. Um There's a lot of reports out there. It's really, really hard to deny that human civilization through the years hasn't had some kind of impact on the climate, right? Especially recently, June, July were the hottest months globally on record ever. But so you've got that lane, right? You've also got the other lane that says even if there weren't people on the planet, would Mother Nature – could Mother Nature change the climate on a dime no matter what just like that? And I think the answer there is yes as well. Um, last time I was here, we were chatting about how the pyramids in Giza, famous desert, right? Desert landscape. 10,000 years ago, that was a tropical rainforest and there were much less people on the planet. Human civilization wasn't near as advanced as it is right now. And so, you know, I think, I think that's the There was no combustion engine. Are you willing to go on record? Not being a climatologist. Yeah. Are you willing to say there was no combustion engine back then? Um, Man, I'd have to look over some documentation, but yeah, I think so. Right. right? I don't um, think Henry Ford had been born. Uh, not even a little bit. Uh, but uh, yeah, and so that's kind of where I fall. I, I Look, I obviously think that we should do our absolute best to take care of the planet for sure. Uh, but I think it's a fluid thing. I think instead of playing the blame game, we have to be a little more fluid and, and just kind of react to what Mother Nature is going to do no matter what. Right. I just think they're also uh, almost militarizing generations of students from second grade to 12th. Yeah. And that the world's going to end unless you yell at your parents or report them to the climate cops. Yeah. Uh, there that's might be a little some bit of, of an issue. Uh, so the first second question, I think, was brought up about climate change. So how are Republicans going to react? Here's an example. Here's uh, Nikki Haley. This is exactly why Margaret Thatcher said, if you want something said, ask a man. If you want something done, ask a woman. First of all, we do care about clean air, clean water. We want to see that taken care of, but there's a right way to do it. And the right way to do it is, first of all, yes, is climate change real? Yes, it is. But if you want to go and really change the environment, then we need to start telling China and India that they have to lower their emissions. That's where our problem is. Feel better? (laughs) (laughs) As a a man or a person? Yeah, I know. Uh, Or or just a citizen? No, you know, 
There is some truth there. Um, I, I think a lot of people think that America have to that America, if we change, the whole world will change, and that's not true. We do have to get those other countries on board um, because there are just billions of people on the other side of the world operating under their own uh, types of laws and, and, and conveniences, right? And so it truly is a, a global thing. Obviously, America is at the forefront of it. But it's just hard. It's hard to get one country, America, on the same page. It's almost impossibly difficult to get the entire world on the same page. So why not destroy the economy in the process? <laughs> I'm just, I guess something's got to give. Something's got to give. Uh, Nick, I don't know. You know what would happen with the weather in uh, – we had a winter in which California got an incredible amount of moisture. Yes. Just anecdotal. I have friends that have been going to California for 12 years. Their kids have moved out there. They said they thought they were in the wrong state. They said they're driving on the uh, 101, and instead of seeing brown, and they just thought that was just where the topography was. Yeah, they're seeing these lush greens. It's all grass. I know. So they did not figure a way to capture the water, but it's totally changed Malibu. It's yeah. changed uh, all the mountains that surround Los Angeles. Yeah, we don't want to talk about that when drought ends. Yeah, we only want to talk about droughts that don't. You know, it's tough. We, we do a little bit of that on Fox Weather too, and it's it's just hard not to. We're always looking into the future, and so yes, we had an absolutely record breaking winter in California. Parts of the Sierra Nevada mountain range still had snow on the ground. The the cap still had snow on the ground in July, right? So the water table there replenished. But, you know, if history repeats itself in a couple more years, all that will be gone, used up, and, and here we are again back in a drought. I did not know Hawaii went through a dry period yeah. in the island of Maui. Yeah. Um, so what we saw was utter devastation. Yes. I know you're not going to get into the power and power downing and whether a siren should go off in Hawaii. They said the siren usually goes off when a tsunami is right. present. So people would run inland. Yes. And they didn't put it off originally because they said they were afraid people would run to the fire. Right. Uh, but then they realized it's ridiculous. Not many humans run into fire because of a horn. Yeah. Um, so having said all that. I did not know Hawaii was going through a dry period and what they need and the devastation. When you saw all that and the damage done by your colleagues and covering it, what are your thoughts about that? Well, how long has this been the case? Oh, man. Well, it's just simply topography driven there on the island. Um, typically, you'll have winds that go east to west, right? And this is – I wish I had my nerdy weather maps out right now because this is a very visual thing. But if the winds are going east to west, <clears throat> the eastern – Side, it's a it's a very mountainous island, right? So the eastern side of the mountains are going to get all the rain, and so once the rain hits the mountains and goes up, it's forced to it's forced to rise, and rising air condenses and creates rain, right? Usually, those clouds will rain themselves out on one side of the island, and then once it gets onto the other side of the island, there is no more rain, and that's where Lahaina is situated. They parts of that island get. 400 inches of rain per year, Lahaina gets 10 inches. Wow. And so that's why it's drier on that side. When you think of Hawaii, you just think the whole thing is lush and green and rainy all the time. Not the case. It's very topography-driven. I will say this. That was just, a you know, pun intended, a perfect storm because you had a big area of high pressure to the north of the island, which was funneling winds uh, clockwise, right? Here's the island. And then you had the hurricane just to the south, with counterclockwise winds, so it was basically a wind funnel. So the winds were coming up and over that slope of the mountain, 
the wildfire occurred on the mountain, and those really gusty winds, 70, 80 mile per hour winds, were forcing that air wow. and that fire down the mountain. It was spreading at a rate of one mile per minute. I've never heard anything like that. So, again, that's one of those things you can't really prepare for. I mean, right. Mother Nature sometimes just says, I'm going to give you something you've never seen, and it's impossible to plan, prepare. There's not going to be standard operating procedures, and unfortunately, I think that's what happened in this case. Now, I do think the horn probably would have helped. You know, people aren't, aren't going to run into the fire, right? Yeah. Um, but again, I'm sure people were just so caught off guard so quickly, and it was in the middle of the night, yeah. too. What about my decision to add a deck onto my studio and have them do the work during our segment? <laughs> I mean, is that wrong? Can you hear the jigsaw, the bandsaw in the background? Uh, yeah, I can, actually. Right. You weren't thrown by it. No, this no. This would never happen on the weather channel. <laughs> on, your, on your channel, Fox no, Weather. I, I just thought maybe, uh, so um, that's your own personal deck. It's right, I said, yeah, I'm going to put a deck on. And I go, I don't want you working uh, unless I'm on the air. So <laughs> Smart. Right. I go, listen, if you're not hammering, I'm not going to. Bring out gonna, the jackhammer, right, fellas. I'm easily distracted. <laughs> <laughs> so I had took my riddle and I said, start building the deck. I love so, it. Uh, so, Nick, to, knowing that this catastrophe happened, the president said a couple of no comments. I don't know if you guys covered this on Fox Weather, but then when he finally arrived, this is what he said. Yeah, do you guys have that? Uh, do you guys have the story that he relayed? You don't? Okay, I thought you did. He came out and talked about how he had a, a lightning hit his house mm-hmm. and he had a small kitchen fire and he almost lost his cat. Do yeah. you think from your uh, from your experience, does that make feel people feel better when you talk about something that has really no relevance to your catastrophe? Oh, man. No. I mean. You, you read that. You saw that, right? I did. I, I saw that. I think he also said he almost lost his car, too. Um, wow. Yeah, I know. In fact, you want to relive that moment? <laughs> if you well up, it's okay. On Fox Night, everybody has Fox Nation. Yeah. Let's listen. I don't want to compare difficulties, but we have a little sense, Jill and I, what it's like to lose a home. Years ago, now 15 years ago, I was in Washington doing Meet the Press. It was a sunny Sunday. And lightning struck at home on a little lake that's outside of our home, not on a lake, a big pond, and hit a wire and came up underneath our home into the heating ducts, the air conditioning duct. To make a long story short, I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, <laughs> and my cat. But all kidding aside, right. I watched the firefighters, the way they responded. You know, there's an old expression. I grew up right across the street from a fire hall in Claymont, Delaware. And the expression is, God made man, then he made a few firefighters. Right. So... In the future, if you're ever trying to console someone, bring yourself up a lot. That's I mean, if that, in life, I'm sure there's Hallmark cards that yeah. reflect that. When in sorrow, think of yourself. I like to tell women that are pregnant, I know exactly how they feel. <laughs> that's what I like that's to about, do. That's yeah. about as relevant, Nick, uh, as the president coming out there. And he gets a total pass. I mean, I don't want to get you to politics, but I'm just going to tell you that the president goes to Puerto Rico, sees the devastation. Kind of says what we all know. They have no infrastructure. A lot of their aid they put to their politicians to get richer. The, the whole place is destroyed. He goes and visits. And then he says, here's some paper towels. Throws a few paper towels. Not great idea, but you knew what he meant. Hey, guys, you looking for these? We have we have supplies for you. Yeah. I... They, they, they went for days about the, <laughs> about the president throwing paper towels. But that story, no reason to underline it. Yeah, man. Like I said, I am uh... – 
I'm just a meteorologist, man. This uh, is why you dance, this, right? You don't want to get into this. I'm here to spread sunshine, right? You know what I mean? Even when it rains. Even when, I try to, even when it and rains. And I believe yeah. that has to be some type of stanza in some type of love song. I think so too. And if it's not, it should be. So there's a. We just made someone a billion dollars, kill me right, right there. Oliver Anthony, if you're listening, this could be your next hit. This is it. All right. Uh, Nick's going to come back a few more minutes because I want to talk a little bit more about you uh, and what's going on too. Because if you watch Nick on Instagram, you're going to want to see uh, about. 20 different dances that he does. Uh, he works it out. He says it. Uh, he says he works hard at it. I think he's totally natural at it. Uh, but you always can check him out on the Fox uh, Weather app. He's Fox yep. Weather uh, on Fox Weather. They have the best studio. Fox News, Fox Business, Fox Weather by far is the best studio. And it's really, sooner or later, it's going to be named after Nick. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's just a matter of time. Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. So Nick Kocher is all over social media, not just talking about the weather. Okay, not at all. And so unless they cover you on uh, Fox Weather, yeah. which is probably one of the fa- – it's all over cable systems now. Yeah. Uh, and you guys are doing great, right? Yeah, we're doing great. We are. Your Hurricane HQ will have weekend coverage on all the hurricanes here coming up this weekend. The Atlantic is real active. You can watch on any connected device like Samsung TV plus Channel 1010. Gotcha. And didn't Texas just get hit? Uh, yeah, Harold came through, dumped a whole bunch of rain. Unfortunately, it didn't alleviate the drought in much of the state, but it was fairly beneficial rain. Okay, yeah. good. Uh, and no damage. So, Nick, uh, tell everybody who who doesn't know when you started realizing you're pretty good at dancing and you could do something with social media. How would, how would it happen? So, for 18 years, I have been a meteorologist on the air. And about four years ago, in my last market in Charlotte, North Carolina – our bosses sat us all down and said, look, uh, we need you to post more on social media, but not work stuff. We want you to do personal stuff, stuff that's a little more fun, more lifestyle. The idea was to get people to like you as the person, and then they'd tune in to watch you on TV in your professional career, right? And so they wanted us to post a lot, 12 times a day. And we were all kind of belly aching, and eventually, you know, we adapted, and, and as did I. And one day, you know, it's just hard to post 12 things on social media every day. So I ran out of stuff. I danced one day in the studio just on a whim. I had never prided myself on dancing. I've never been trained or anything. Not even the best guy at the wedding? Not even. The, I mean, I'll do a little chucking and jiving at, uh, at the wedding. And I have gotten some compliments before in the past as I think about it. But I'm not the guy that's going to go out there and just start killing it, you know, and, and, and demand everybody start watching me. So you me. do it, and it starts... Yeah. Really picking up steam. Yeah. the fr- You know, I'd been doing social media stuff all along, just trying this and that and whatever. So it's kind of something that I- I've always sort of had in my DNA. Um, I can't not do it, basically. 
But I just thought it was weird that it was the thing that people liked the most. And um, so, I, you know, once I did it the first time, everybody seemed to like it. And I've been doing it since. And I'm telling everybody I'll, I'll stop when you get sick of me. So just let me know. So you get to New York. Yeah. And instead of, you, Nick, you just dancing, yeah. you start hooking up with different groups, right? Going to yeah. street, different street groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, and then we, you find out what they're doing and yeah. they find out what you're doing. I try and, to it's, – it's a way for me to assimilate into a new city, right? Like here in New York, there are popular dances. Uh, there are popular dances in the south. So I just try to – it's it's it, oh, you'll travel around. Yeah, I'll travel around for sure, and uh, it, it's a way for me to kind of you know, a, as a broadcaster, you know, we we move a lot for our jobs, and it's it, for me, it's kind of like cheering for the hometown team. I, I try to learn what's cool in, in the dance community, and, and how and what is it like? People know you now. People do know me more as, as a dancer than a weatherman for but sure. But like, when you go up to these weather groups, um, dance groups, yeah. What are they thinking? Like, they're happy to see you, right? They are usually pretty, yeah, pretty excited. Times Square. Times Square. That's a, that's that's my stomping grounds. It's right over here. You know, so if I have a little break in the action here at work, I'll go over there and, and try to link Here's up. Here's to show you what a, a non-dancer am. So you watch them, and then I notice dancers don't look at each other. They just right. do it. Yeah. Like a how flock do of birds. You do? Like you, do you, how do you know if you're synced up? You can feel it? Yeah, well, what you don't see are the 20 mess-ups that we had beforehand. So <laughs> there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of takes that we don't publish on social that look terrible. But for me, I, I, learn, I, I practice the dance three or four days in advance before I even get there. Gotcha. Yeah. So where do we check you out now? Is it Instagram you post the most? Uh, yeah, Instagram or TikTok. Just look up Nick Koser, K-O-S-I-R. Do not put on TikTok, I don't want the Chinese to steal your moves. You <laughs> promised me you won't do it anymore. Leave <laughs> I can't make any promises. Nick, come on. Come on. All right. Uh, check him out on Fox Weather 2. That's his part-time job. He's really dancing full-time. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Yes, sir. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Thanks so much for being Kilmeade. here. Everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Sage Steele, the, one of the top sportscasters in the country, recently left SportsCenter and ESPN. Uh, she's going to be joining us shortly. She'll be joining me on One Nation, too. I hope everyone's going to watch. 8 o'clock, we have an interview with Victor so- uh, Shokin. He was the prosecutor fired. Uh, fired uh, by Joe Biden when he was vice president. And there's a lot of controversy around that because one of the reasons people say and Shokin believes that he was fired is because they were looking into Burisma. And Burisma was the place where Devin Archer and this guy named Hunter Biden were on the board. And they were putting a lot of pressure with Shokin to find out what they were up to and the shady investments they were involved in. So how do you stop those investments? Have the powerful Americans show up with their vice president and fire him. Is that indeed the case? That's what he thinks. Saturday, 8 o'clock, I'll have some clips throughout the show. But first things first, the biggest story uh, that happened yesterday was the arrest of the former president of the United States. He was arrested. He was fingerprinted. He was mugshotted. And now we have a photo that's on the cover of every newspaper. The question is, how stable is the case? Is this a case that should have been brought to uh, brought forward? So many people on the left, like Alan Dershowitz, like Dan Abrams, not on the left. But I think Dan Abrams was up the middle, said, no, you shouldn't be doing this. You already have three indictments. It's covered by others. This seems to me be pure politics. And I was also struck by Julian Epstein. Julian Epstein's an interesting guy. He joined me in Washington last week when I was there uh, covering, uh, doing uh, weather. And, uh, I was doing the weather, uh, doing news, and I'd do a special uh, for Fox Nation. And Julian Epstein joined me in studio. 
Now, Julian's interesting because he worked for uh, Democrats in the House, and he'll say that he's a Democrat. He has never voted for Donald Trump. He says, I never will. But here's what he said about the case that is brought forward that has 19 people indicted and 13, 13 counts against Trump. Cut 11. I don't think it's a particularly strong case. I did not vote for Donald Trump, and I was very critical of the January 6th activities and and the riot and the raid on the Capitol. I I still think that if you are going to bring a case against the former president, it has got to be a compelling case, not just to 12 jurors, but to the country as a whole. And look at this. I'm just seeing some video now and reminded of this. Think about the resources, how much overtime was spent, how many cops were taken out of city streets, off city streets to just stand there, pretend that this is uh, a security breach. You know, and who knows if people wanted to create some chaos, they could have. So all the resources spent with all the crime going on in Atlanta, you would think that they had better things to do two and a half years later. Don't tell me it's not politically oriented. That to me is crazy. Here's more from Julian Epstein, Cut 13. Generally, when a state and a federal government take on a very similar, almost identical case, and this is very similar to the case that is being brought by the Justice Department on the January 6th matter, the state would have to have a rather distinct and articulable interest, a separate interest. What is the strong interest the state has here that is not being served by the federal prosecution? Right. And lastly, he even sees in this politics. This is it. The timing can't be ignored. The president is up by about 21 points overall with the latest poll, but he'll gain with indictments, but not if he's convicted. If he's convicted, I just saw a poll, he would lose 17 points in popularity and he would lose seven head to head with Biden, which means he would maybe get the nomination, lose popularity and then lose to Biden. Is that the ultimate goal? Julian Epstein, cut 18. Because you've got 19 defendants, Some of them will have a case for federal removal, some not. I think it's going to be almost impossible to get this case tried before the election. New York won't be tried before the election, and I think the other two, there are real doubts about whether you will get to those. So it's a total waste of time. On the debates yesterday, I saw this poll, and I wanted to share it with you. you We had Ron DeSantis on television and radio, and he was pretty happy with his performance. But he said to me, I thought I'd be attacked more, but I wasn't. They were all going after Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, they were sitting around him, and we saw the fights between Pence and Swami, uh, uh, Ramaswamy, and we saw between Pence and Nikki Haley, and Nikki Haley and Ramaswamy. But when it was all said and done, get this, a poll was taken by the Washington Post, their 538 uh, outfit. What do you th- who do you think performed the best in the Republican primary? Ron DeSantis, 29, uh, Vivek, 26, Nikki Haley, 15, Pence, 7, uh, Scott, 4, Christie, 4. Who was attacked the most? This is just a fact. Biden, 14. Trump, 6. Ramaswamy, 6. Haley, 2. Pence, 2. DeSantis, 1. So that's interesting. Only one big big attack. So they also did a poll, a polling company I never heard of, but published in the Washington Post today. The Post uh, put this debate survey, 1,800 people surveyed, found that 23% of self-identified GOP voters said that Vivek won the debate and 21% said... uh, With 23%, 21% said DeSantis. I think this is going to help revive DeSantis, who is a solid second, but losing steam. This will help. I don't think, as I mentioned, Tim Scott was happy. I think he's being exceptionally hard on himself because he wasn't – I thought he was fine. One area that was brought up to me that would have been perfect for him, when Vivek came out and says, everyone on this stage, I'm the only one on this stage who hasn't been bought and sold by corporate America – 
to have Tim Scott lean over and go, really? I'm bought and sold. I grew up in abject poverty, made my way, find a way through college, worked my way through college, became a, a, got involved in insurance, then was state elector, and then he came out and got into Congress and Senate. If you've seen the way he was brought up, there's nobody who thinks that Tim Scott is bought and paid for, and that would have been his moment to underline his background. He might have missed it. The other big story that's happening in New York that's affecting every major city but more in New York, the collapse of the border in Texas, in Arizona, in New Mexico, and California has countless numbers of illegal immigrants flooding into our state. It's costing $3 billion, $3 billion a year to date. Think about this. 8,000 illegals a month that we have to house, laundry service, feed them, and eventually, I assume, uh, you know, laundry service, can you imagine that? Kick out homeless, but bring in the illegals. Kathy Hochul did something she should have done a year ago. She's saying to President Biden, you screwed up, we need some money. Cut 27. What we've said all along is just let them work and help us out financially. That's why today I have sent a letter to President Biden formally requesting immediate executive action in four key areas. First, expedited work authorization so we can get these people out of shelters and into the jobs. Financial support for federal housing vouchers, schools, health care, legal services, case management, and shelter for us to provide to these asylum seekers. Okay, number one. On the surface, you think work is a good idea. On the surface. Get these men who obviously are refugees and can't live in their country at 21 years old. You know how horrible Guatemala, Honduras, uh, Nicaragua. Yeah, okay. Venezuela, terrible. Stay there and work it out. Apply for asylum. Don't walk across the border. And because they don't want to, they want to take advantage of our sanctuary status in all these cities, we have to take you in. We, meaning my tax dollars, have to take in because I work here. I love working here. Don't love working in New York City. Don't love working in New York where all our money goes to people that don't deserve it. And I'm going to add something else to it. What about the schools? There is no money available to pay for these kids who are now in our schools and don't know the language. The problem with if you let these men and women get a job, what's the problem? The word goes out to all those countries I mentioned, 150 represent of the border, that if you come to America, we bring you to the best city in the world, we give you a job, we give you a place to live, we give you three meals a day, a menu, and laundry service. I'm going to put this question to you. What do you think that would do to the amount of people coming into our border and asking them to come to New York? Can anybody think this through? Listen to her again, cut 28. The state has deployed enormous resources toward New York City's valiant efforts to shelter and support these nearly 100,000 migrants who have already arrived here. The reality is we've managed thus far without substantive support from Washington. And despite the fact that this is a national, indeed an inherently federal issue. But New York has shouldered this burden for far too long. Unbelievable. Right? And, and what they're doing is you're just forcing people out. I did a story earlier this week that between New York and Los Angeles over the last three years, 
uh, $2 trillion has left the economies of both states. People have just picked up and left, whether it's individuals or firms. They're just gone. It's just not worth it. And it angers you so much. If you work hard and you look at your paycheck and you see 45% or 38% is coming out to city taxes, state taxes, federal taxes, and you know the money's not even going to make your schools better, your subways ride smoother, uh, or for any type of road and bridges, but it goes to people that don't belong here because he won't enforce the border and send them home. The policies that were working, he won't put into play. The wall that was paid for, he won't put up. Selling off for pennies on the dollars to scrap. Please tell me that this is going to affect your vote if you're in these areas. Because you deserve better. Even if you're a Democrat, even if these are Democratic candidates, they are not going to bat for you by having generic statements of need of funds instead of calling out the people that are destroying your city and wasting your money. So I had a chance to talk to Victor Shokin as we switch gears about Russia and Ukraine. And when this really started becoming a situation where the president made a phone call when he heard about what the Bidens were up to and ended up leading to his an impeachment because Rudy uh, Giuliani, because of the way Rudy Giuliani handled it, instead of letting it go through the attorney general. And what, what Joe Biden's doing now is he is investigating the president of the United States and he's making sure that all these cases come to fruition. But he's not talking about it. He's not sending, he says, my attorney general has to stay out of it. I'm going to let them hire investigators in doing it. As bad as it is, that's the way you handle it. If he told his personal attorney to start trolling around Mar-a-Lago to go after Trump, it would end up in an impeachment. So having said that, it doesn't mean the Bidens weren't corrupt as the day is long. And Victor Shokin knows that. He was the prosecutor that Joe Biden bragged about firing. The problem is in investigating this, He is not a bad guy. It doesn't seem. In fact, Victoria Nuland has praised him as somebody that was well-respected. She said, keep up the good work. I know it's hard, but your prosecutor's office is doing well. Remember her? She testified against Donald Trump. She was a key member of the State Department located in the Ukraine. So here's a little from Victor Shokin, Cut 32. I do not want to deal in unproven facts, but my firm personal conviction is that, yes, this was the case. They were being bribed. The fact that Joe Biden gave away $1 billion in uh, U.S. Uh, money in exchange for my dismissal, my firing, isn't that alone a case of corruption? So if you look at the Shokin story, uh, Shokin says that he was pursuing Burisma. The White House says they weren't. Well, he was pursuing Burisma. He said he was. And Devin Archer said our focus was on making sure that Victor Shokin got out of the way. Now, he's not having him killed, but had him fired. And he did. Now, I'm not telling you he was a perfect prosecutor. I don't keep up with the prosecutors in America, let alone Ukraine. But Yanukovych was voted out. He was a Russian stooge. He was voted out and Poroshenko won in. When Poroshenko won in, he wanted to rid his Justice Department of corruption. So he asked Shokin to come in and do the job. Shokin came in and started rattling some cages, and he got himself fired. And now he lives basically on Social Security in the Ukraine, and he believes he humiliated the country when the vice president came in there and fired him. Because how how do you feel if you're a country and our country is deciding who's in and who's out? On top of that. The Russians saw our role there, saw a threat to it, and believed they took Crimea and without firing a shot. That's what Chokin believes. And that's what Miranda Devine believes. And that's what John Solomon has found out.
And I'm going to talk about all that because it matters. Easily to be swamped by the other news, by the debate and what's going on with Donald Trump. But this story matters. And it's not a matter of a drug-addled son of a president. This matters that the president was benefiting from it, knowing, by the way, on a side note, what kind of dad are you putting this kind of pressure on a guy that clearly has addiction issues? Anybody who cares knows the worst thing to do to an addict is to put them under stress. That's part of the reason why they go to rehab is to recalibrate, take a lot of the exteriors, uh, like challenges around you that gets you distracted and stresses you out and focus on yourself. So when we come back, we'll change gears a little bit. I'll expand on this. But Sage Steele's going to be here eventually on SportsCenter for years, one of the top sportscasters in the country. Why she left and what she's doing now. Sage Steele next. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I respect Ambassador Haley and her experiences, but I respectfully disagree with her. And I think the existing foreign policy establishment has gotten it wrong for so long, they're getting it wrong here, too. We are driving Russia further into China's hands. But they invaded, they invaded Ukraine, Vivek. They invaded Ukraine. Just yes. give them the 20% of the country? And, well, here's what I would say. Just like Nixon did not trust Mao, we still had to pull Mao Zedong out of the hands of the USSR. Vivek Ramaswamy, the sensation from the debate, everybody's talking about him, love him or hate him, he's making news. He joins us this morning. I just think that his foreign policy is way off base. It makes no sense. The scary thing is a lot of people agree with him. So I was talking with him this morning. But with me right now in studio is one of the finest sportscasters in the country, uh, Sage Steele, former co-host at SportsCenter for years, uh, but knows more than just sports, knows a lot about life. And it's the first time I have a chance to meet you in person. I'm a huge fan. Oh, my gosh. No, I'm the fan of you. And I walked in eight seconds ago, so this is my hug. Uh, I'm a hugger. And I was like, oh, you a very physical person. Uh, well, that sounds very misleading, potentially. Very well, I mean, <laughs> because I know, like, uh, I think the stereotype is correct because I'm half Italian, half Irish. Yes. And the Italian side of my family are all very hu- they're big huggers. Yeah. The Irish, uh, they invented the fist bump. Right? <laughs> okay, how about this? My mother is half Irish, half Italian. My, so she's, she's that. Oh, so I'm my mother. And by the way, my grandmother, this is proof. Um, Philomena Lena Dipratola. Okay. So I know when you Hugger? see me, absolutely. When you see me, you think, oh, she's Italian for sure. But like, <laughs> I, I have proof here. I'm legit. Well, uh, you are legit. Uh, great interview with Megan Kelly. Enjoyed uh, every second. About you. two hours. It yeah. sounded um, a lot like almost like therapy and a conversation between two friends. You guys have known each other for a while? Uh, met her once. Really? Um, yeah. We have the same attorney, Brian Friedman. He's a busy man these days, and and that's how we were introduced. I've been a fan of Megan from the beginning here and certainly followed her career. She's someone I looked up to based on her professionalism and the way she does her job. And to experience that the other day was incredible. But, Ryan, it it was therapeutic. I think that's probably the emotions that came out that were a little unexpected. I didn't expect to feel that way. But it was also, in hindsight, the first time I'd been able to speak freely about anything, but much less myself. 
So I think that's where the emotion came from. Were you living in Connecticut? I am living in Connecticut. You still are? Yes, I just Did you got have to a, live a, around Bristol? Yes. Oh, okay. Yay. Right. I'd say here. I've only been there a couple of times. Yeah, don't, don't go back. It's, it's a, I live outside, and, it, and there's some beautiful little suburbs, but it's just not my happy place, put it that way. So Sage is going to come on One Nation. You're going to see us Saturday night at 8, and it repeats over at 11. We're going to take a short break, a shorter segment, and then we're going to come back for the rest of the half hour. Is that awesome. all right? Thank you. All right. Do you want to talk at the break or just stare straight ahead and look at our phones? <laughs> I want to hug. Oh, you want to hug? Okay. <laughs> I'll, use my, I'll tell my Italian side. Okay, all right. And you better tell. Uh, Sage Steele is here. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. you think this is the brian kilmeade show i'm here to tell you there's a misnomer that espn is some liberal place that is a lie i know a bunch of conservatives that work at espn i'm telling you what i know but the reason why i bring that subject up is because i think it's a mistake when a corporation tries to silence anybody i think you let everybody speak that way the company doesn't get blamed for the positions an individual takes the individual has to be culpable for the words that we articulate and the impact that it has ultimately on us. If I say something and it ultimately costs ESPN dollars, and as a result, ESPN says, you got to go, they're not saying I have to go because of my politics. They're saying I have to go because I compromise their bottom line. And I think that's the position all corporations should take, as opposed to trying to curtail or silence anybody. Because you think their individual words are going to be a reflection on the whole. It is not when you let everybody speak. So Stephen A. Smith was was really talking about Sage uh, Steele leaving ESPN, uh, both staples of that uh, of the 24-hour sports network. And Stephen A. Smith knows, I just read his book, he was suspended twice. <laughs> yes. One time he was fired. Just like, oh, yeah. they didn't like what he was saying. Yeah. Got suspended for two weeks. because he's in a, And he's in a debate show. Yep. So... Uh, Sage Steele is actually here. If you're watching Fox Nation, uh, we're meeting for the first time. And we did have, uh, being we're both half Italian, you're a third Italian. I'm, half. I'm a quarter Italian, I guess. A quarter Italian. Yes, something like that. Mom's half Irish, half Italian. So what does that make me? Your yes, mom's a quarter. Have, yeah. Yeah, I would think, yeah, if we have to divide into thirds. <laughs> Math. We'll, you know, we're going to do 23 and me and just solve okay, this once yes. and for all. What is your take on, Stephen A. Smith is kind of referring to your situation. I love that man. And I have worked with him from day one since 2007. And I have been a huge, <clears throat> excuse me, defender of his when he has been suspended because I, I, I didn't agree with the reasons why he was suspended at the time. And that was, an, and that was a while ago, too. But it was interesting being that it is a, his format is debate. Um, at the end of the day, Stephen A is on record. And we've had conversations about this. We, we often disagree about a lot of things. Um, my whole point from day one is consistency. And you cannot allow everyone else to talk about whatever they want that has nothing to do with sports right. on our airwaves, on our platforms, whether it's, uh, it's any of the ESPN or ESPN radio or even social media, and allow – and then the one person who happens to be me that speaks up about other things. And by the way, in the podcast that with Jay Cutler in which all the comments took place, um, that was my off day, my own time. 
asking about things that were personal to me as a biracial woman with the vaccine, et cetera. So I can have opinions on things that affect me. I'm not even talking about abortion. So to me, it's just being consistent. You can't have rules for some and not for others. And by the way, as a parent of three, it works that way, too. Consistency is all I ever wanted. And that's what's been missing. Right. Um, you would one thing to say, and if I if I'm misstating this, but you're biracial. Yes. And you don't want to disrespect your white mom by saying that you're black or white. You're biracial. Yes. And you brought that up with President Obama. You said, listen, why does he say he's black? He's got a white Actually, mom. I didn't bring it up. I was on The View. Barbara Walters on live TV brought it up to me right. and said, well, what, what's wrong? Why don't you why do you have to say biracial? Our current president, this is in 2014, our president says he's black. Why, why can't you? And I I'm like, what, 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 show me the rule book. What, what is this? And most importantly, why? Yeah. Why does it matter? And this is in 2014 on ABC. No one had a problem with, with what I said then. Fast forward to 2021 and there was an issue. I will always say it, Brian. I am so proud of all of me, yeah. of my black side and my white side. And to be told to choose is disgusting. It's wrong. That has a whole race connotation as well. And and I used to be afraid to speak about this, but when you're kind of beaten up your whole life about it, and then someone comes at you, enough. But I know from having spoken about it, the importance of getting it out there because there are so many people, biracial, young, old kids, girls, boys, who feel this way. And I'm just not afraid, so I have to be there for them, too. Why choose? The thing, and I heard you talking to Megan about this, with Barbara Walters basically almost got got physical with you <laughs> in the back room. I mean, was she, she, was she, I know she ended up sadly having dementia. Sure, yeah. But was, I don't know if that was playing a role in that. I don't know. Listen, I, I said it kind of like jokingly because everyone who was there and witnessed it, and I, some of my friends Aggressive. were there, we were, it was just, we were laughing. It was like I was speechless. You would think Whoopi Goldberg might have a problem with it, but you said she was kind. Whoopi was great. Yeah, she was She was great to me the entire time. I have a lot of respect for Whoopi, the human being. I really do. Elizabeth but when Hasselbeck I saw that, said the same thing, by the way. But go and on. I love Elizabeth Hasselbeck. Yeah. She's a friend of mine, and I have so much respect for her and what she went through for so many years on that show. But when I, it was funny, and I said it at, in jest because I was laughing that Barbara Walters back then elbowed me, and, I, and then people took it. Sage Steele says she assaulted her. You people need a life. Like, stop. Uh, I know. That's one thing. Um, if you eventually ever come to Fox or anything <laughs> to do with Fox, get used to that. Oh, I, my I Don't Google my name. Uh, but, you know, Sage, you've arguably had it. You've had a challenge almost every day because you are the breadwinner in your family. Yeah. You're trying to raise three kids. And you had your dream. You have your dream job at ESPN. Top five sportscasters, top three maybe in the country. Doing one of the uh, – my person as a broadcaster, you're putting together these highlights, putting them together, knowing you're ad-libbing half of them, doing two things at once. You have to be competent in all these sports, international names, knowing on the fly. <laughs> a guy, you know, a guy scores 46 points. You better know how to uh, say his or her name. Yes. I just have so much respect. Thank you. Know, you. you get a, a tenth of the support, pe- support people actually think ESPN anchors get. You're doing everything. Thank you so much. Number one, you're on television. You understand. And so the pressure hard. and our show is two hours live every day, breaking news. It's kind of, what people don't see, which is my favorite part, that whole hashtag BTS behind the scenes, is we are walking and talking while doing highlights. The, the studio is massive and it is a physically challenging show, too. The directors, we are the best and in the business. And someone in your ear. And someone in my ear, which is why I'm crazy. But I think it helps me <laughs> in this job. Right. It's it's as close to sports as being in sports, yes. right? Because you have to do things, adapt in real time, make your own decisions, and the ramifications are tremendous. I and absolutely you'll be, loved and it. And you'll be doing it again. If you choose or you or you want another forum, you're not going anywhere. 
but I want you to hear everybody to hear the crazy comments you made to former quarterback Jay Cutler. Cut 56. What's the band-aid for? <laughs> well, I got my shot today. I respect everyone's decision. I really yeah. do. Yeah. But to mandate it is um, sick. Mm-hmm. And it's scary yeah. to me in many ways. Um, but I have a job. Yeah. A job that I love and, frankly, a job that I, that I need. But, again, I love it. I just um, – I'm not surprised it got to this point, especially mm-hmm. with Disney. I mean, a, a global company like yes. that. But I just um, – like, it was actually emotional. Like, so – and it's funny. Everybody else has their, yay, look, and here's yeah. my card, and let's – like, you know what? You want to see what my face looked like when I had to do it? Mm-hmm. Um, so I get it to, to an extent, but I think the mandate is what I really have an issue with. And, and I – I, I don't know. I don't know what comes next. And uh, we basically got it because, you know, the same thing at Fox. You know, we had to deconflict. Everyone had to go to separate studios and to come back in. You had to get vaccinated, but you didn't lose your job. You worked from home. And then there was no disclaimer on this uh, on this vaccine mandate. It's one of the big stories today that we still go. Back, and they're talking about putting masks on kids again. So uh, it's not over. So you that's have what this. I was referring to, by the way, that two years ago is what's next. And now it's here. All of a sudden, Dr. Fauci has come out of his basement again, and we're listening again, and oh gosh, COVID's not well, over. I'm not listening. Well, yeah, yeah. I shouldn't say we, because yeah. you and I are not, and I think, not. here's, I actually think millions of Americans, many more millions, maybe who quietly felt that way back a couple years ago, to me, I'm concerned. I don't think people are going to take it this time. It's on the way. Absolutely like, we not. know it. And you know what? They better not take it, because if we, as a society, continue to just take these marching orders, especially when we are, actually, we're following your science, and we're listening to you, and now you're full of it. We all know. And so to bring it back, if we say yes again, if we allow it again, it's our own fault. Absolutely. And I agree with you. Have you ever – and by the way, Operation Warp Speed, if you see the technology behind it, get the story behind it. I think their objectives were pure. I don't think it was to make Pfizer rich. It was to find a way out of this. The one difference between Trump and Biden, here's your vaccine. Make your own decision. Yes. He never would have mandated. Ask him. He never would have mandated it. In the beginning, he said, yeah, I got vaccinated right away. There was other people that didn't. Now, why did President Trump get vaccinated? He told me as soon as I called back and I saw some of my friends not in great shape in their 80s that were dying. And I said to myself, you know, we saw for a while people were being put into refrigerators because they didn't know what this thing was. They were killing them by putting them on respirators as part of the problem. So they were making it up as they went along. We know that now. They were killing them while dying alone, a horrific death. The families couldn't come in. So you made the decision, I'll do it, got to keep my job, but I don't have to be happy about it. And what did management— I complied. That's the thing. I can have an opinion and and comply uh, as long as I'm complying, and I, and I did that. And what happened? Uh, I was told um, you can't whack the company. You whack the company. You whack Disney. It's not going over well. And I said, but I, I, what do you mean? I, I'm giving facts. They forced it. I, I do think it's sick, but I, but I complied with it. Um, and then the uh, comments related to the Obama, Barbara Walters, and my own view on how I feel as a biracial woman, um, that didn't sit over well. And there were a couple you mean of other the same conversation. Well. It was all it was all in the same podcast. It all took place in the same podcast. Oh, okay. So that's when I the phone started ringing. The agent called um, and they said in order to keep your, your job, you have to publicly apologize. And I fought it. Trust me. Trust me. I fought, because I knew right. that I was wait. I'm just being true to myself. Just like everyone else who's going on their own tangents on our airwaves, a big difference. 
um, about, again, things that have nothing to do with sports on our own airwaves. So I just thought, wait, where's this double standard? I don't explain it to me. And there was no explanation. Um, and so I did it and I apologized. And then they released a statement and then I lost assignments and things that I had worked hard on weren't promoted and the domino effect. And it kept going and going and going. And at that point, it's one thing to apologize and move on, which is what I was told would happen. It's another thing for the punishment to continue to be levied. And that's where, again, a lot of years of things building up to this, but that's where I had to personally draw my line. And there's never been a a scarier decision I've made in my life because I knew the repercussions. When you stand up and when a lawsuit is filed, um, there's no turning back. There's no reconciliation usually. And that broke my heart because my whole life, when I started at ESPN, my kids were 11 months old, two and four. They're now 17, 19, and 21. Wow. All they've known is mom at ESPN, and we've had a beautiful life there. I have zero regrets from any of it. From even, even when back in the day when I stayed silent about a lot of things, I probably shouldn't have. Um, but I'm not one to go way back to, let me dig this up. That was my decision then, onward. My decision now is obvious. Um, I'm so sad it had to come to this. My goal now is to, if I continue to, to speak out, and hopefully other companies are listening, especially with what we just talked about, with the potential, it seems like, of COVID coming back, um, they have to listen to us, employees. It's my health. It's my body, my choice, is it not? So I, I, think, that. I, think that, I think that it's really now or never, and I just hope that by me doing this, I mean, I'm just one little annoying person with a bunch of curly, like, but I hope that others aren't as fearful as I was for so many years, because at some point, shame on the employers for doing this, but I do believe it's personal responsibility. And I couldn't continue to complain about something if I wasn't willing to take a stand as costly as it might be. And it's been costly. But you know how many people listening right now without public positions have to put up with uh, not, let's say, a shot or things they don't agree with, bosses that are abusive, uh, situations where they're not promoted when they should because they say, I am the breadwinner. I have to suck it up and oh. deal with it. It hurts your self-esteem. But what's your approach? I got to make my house payments. I got to pay my bills. That's why I, I don't have, I don't, you know, I don't have a cushion, a two-year cushion to go find myself. Right. A lot of times they just don't mix. And a lot. And those, that's why that. people can relate to your message that you had to suck it up and say what you had to say to keep that job because you're, you care about your kids. And I got a lot of pushback for people saying, yeah, right. You're just like everybody else. You came out on your I'm sorry tour and you, and you did it. And, you know, all the names, all the attacks. And that, and you know what? I, I understood it. But I, I, was, I was so desperate. And I wanted to be able to explain why I had to go ahead and do it and how I, why I had to apologize. Because that's the first thing. Don't apologize. I had no choice. Here's the thing. As a, a mother doing this, you know, their fathers um, in town were divorced, but, but he's involved. But as the mother and, you know, um, primary custody, et cetera, um, they're watching me. And if I am encouraging my kids, I have two daughters and a son, but especially those girls to stand tall and be strong and stand up for what you believe in and defend others. And then I st- sit silently. I, I, I couldn't do it. I was physically ill thinking about not practicing what I preach. Right. I just can't believe it had to come to this. But the stress of that moment when you had that meeting, it's almost like someone hit symbols in your ear. You're seeing what's happening. You're seeing your career. Managers you thought had your back uh, and friends, they all. The friends are, listen, the friends in quotes, right? And I actually think that's been a huge blessing because that's when it you know. the herd. 
Oh, and it's thin, yeah. and it's a very small circle, um, and that's been painful. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And I am a super sensitive, emotional person, but it's been a huge blessing to know who really. And by the way, people who don't agree with me on many of these topics, but it's not about that. I like you, the human. I don't care what your job is. I don't care what your opinions are. It's about the human connection and loyalty. Loyalty. I'm an army kid, right? I mean, loyalty and integrity and principle right. matters. When we come back a few more minutes with Sage Steele's kind enough to be in studio. Wasn't able to do that. Would, was ESPN let you? No, they would never let you come on um, Fox, would they? I'm not. Oh, Stephen I'm, A. Smith not, used to. I'm, I'm not Stephen A. We're not Stephen A. There's one Stephen A. Back in a moment. <laughs> Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We ended up getting married at West Point. We were young and very naive. My parents um, pretty much disowned me and didn't come to the wedding or anything like that. They were in Panama, and she called her mom to say, I'm going to have a baby, and her mom hung up the phone. There were many things that were said about what a relationship with a black husband would be and how you would end up being treated, etc. And so how are her parents going to know she's okay? So I believe it was once a month. Once a month. And once a month, I would pen a letter. Here's where we are. Here's what's going on. Here's what we're doing together. So that is uh, Sage Steele's parents on NFL Films, a great uh, documentary, um... And I did not know this originally, but I was just listening that your dad was the first black football player at West Point. Played varsity football ever at West Point. Broke the color barrier. Yeah. Unbelievable. But they were talking about what it was like for them personally. What years are we talking about? They got married in 1971. So in October, is 52 years for them. And it was just coming off of the civil rights era and Vietnam and such a difficult time. And my mom's um, parents disowned her, a white mom, for marrying a black man. And so that was the story that I did not know until NFL Films did that piece on me, that every month my dad would write to my mom's parents who wouldn't respond, wouldn't pick up the phone to say, listen, you're not paying attention to her and you have disowned her, but I'm taking care of your daughter. And that was that every time I hear it, I get, you know. You can imagine uh, your your last name aptly uh, really talks about your parents, right? Totally. And um, I've used the hashtag for thank you. Here's the thing. I never I never knew I was strong. I didn't know. And that's why when I said earlier I wouldn't change anything, all of these ups and downs in my dream job, because I had to realize my strength. And it's been a it's been a blessing. And now you're on your own. Uh, you got your settlement on your uh, lawsuit. And if people want to know more about you, Sage, you can go to your website, sagesteel.com. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Brian. And would I be able to talk to you still Saturday night at 8 o'clock? Yes. All Hello. Right. Let's Thank go. Thank you. <laughs> Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.